Okay. Blog Talk Radio. That's all right. We're live. We just take our time getting to it. Life's dark ways I tread. 
people come and die. I'm in Manahina, feed and supply for every need. Oh, this sweet to stuff with Jesus all the time. Come and dine, the master calleth, come and dine. You may feast at Jesus' table all the time. He who fed the multitude, turned the water into wine. To the hungry calleth hell, come and dine. Mm-hmm. 
you know, it's been distress, divine aid, dwelling, direction, deliverance, defense, or defense, um, delight. And tonight we change from a D to a P. And tonight is a psalm of de- a degree of protection. It, it's uh, about being blessed of the Lord. And, uh, you know, I, I want that. I don't know about you, but I, I, I care about being blessed of God. It's, it's not only just being blessed of God, but it's also, it's also a psalm about family. And, and from knowing, knowing all of us in here, we care about family. Family is important to us. And it's important to God, too. God created the family. God established the family. Uh, it's of his doing. I think that's why man hates it so bad and tries to destroy it, because it's of the Lord's doing. Uh, marriage is of the Lord's doing. And man wants to destroy and pervert that. Uh, but this is about what the Lord wants tonight. This is not about what man wants or what man is going to do. This is about what God wants. Uh, it's a psalm of David. It says that it's a psalm of degrees for Solomon. And Solomon, of course, is, is a child of uh, David and Bathsheba, not the one that, was, that, that of course, died. Uh, it couldn't have been him, but it was the second child of that marriage. And, and uh, of course, Solomon's the heir to the throne of David. And uh, so the psalm was written to him. But, uh, it's written for us as well. And uh, it's a psalm about a psalm about God's children prospering, and and God wants us to prosper. I, I, want, I want you to understand that God God is not it's not like the people on TV say that God wants to make you rich, and that God never wants you to ever be sick. No, but God wants you to be blessed. I mean, it's not that God ever wants us to be sick, but God it's not that God's going God's not going to give you. $10 million and perfect health for the rest of your life. You've got to go through trials and tribulations. But in, in the midst of all that, God wants you to be blessed. God wants you to prosper. That's not to say that people go through hardships are not blessed for the Lord. Sometimes God allows people to go through hardships in life, and it's, and it's there for a reason. It's to show his enduring grace. Uh, and for those people who are called to do that, you know, God gives them more grace than he gives somebody like me who's never had to go through that. But, uh, you know, I can't give you an answer why everybody suffers the way they do and why they go through what they have to, to go through. But I can tell you that God's in charge and God's in control, and God provides. Uh, you know, we have to look to him. We have to look to our Heavenly Father to be our providence. I mean, he's to be our everything. He's not just to be our, 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 our Sunday thing or our Wednesday thing. God's to be our everyday uh, constant uh, experience with him. And uh, what God wants, because 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 I've been saved by Him, because He, in His mercy, sent His Holy Ghost. Uh, you know, Monday was the first of November. Monday was uh, was my spiritual birthday. I got born again on November the first, nineteen seventy-five. I'm just a seven-year-old boy, and uh, you know. I ain't always walked perfectly like I should. As a matter of fact, I, I made a mess of things. I'm thankful. I'm thankful that I'm that he's my father. I'm thankful that he loves me. I'm thankful that he saved me. And I'm thankful that he has he guided me and he's provided for me. Even though I've made a mess of things at often in times of my life, God still provided for me. God still took care of me because God sees the end from the beginning. He does even though I may you you or me may not be exactly where we ought to be right now. God 
has a will for us to get in, and God has a purpose for our lives. And just because we may not be in the center of it at the moment doesn't mean that God still doesn't have a plan for us to be in that will. And so, God, it's of utmost importance that we find out what God's will is and get in it, because that's the only way we're ever going to be blessed. Now, let's look tonight in our scripture. We only got five verses. It shouldn't take us that long, but it probably will, because that's just the way it goes around here. But anyway, uh, verse 1, amen. A song of the Greece with Solomon. The Bible says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Now, I'm going to take that and apply that to lives right this moment, because there sure are a lot of people who are laboring in vain today. When it says, you know, they're laboring in vain, they're, they're working for nothing, working for empty things. And I know a lot of people working just trying to keep food in, in, the, in the pantry and trying to keep the lights on and keep gas in the tank. And that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about those who who, who are just simply working to have a fat bank account and, and to be able to sit back and do nothing. There are plenty of people who are living like that, or they're living for pleasure. They're living for Friday night. They're living for Saturday night. They're living for the next concert to go to. They're living for the next big ball game to go to. They're living, they're living for something. Besides the Lord, there's lots of people doing that. They're, they're laboring in vain instead of building a life that suits that suits God. They're trying to build a life that suits their own fancy, and that, that's not what God wants. Amen. God doesn't want us. That. God doesn't just say, "Hey, I'm going to turn you loose. You just have a ball and do everything you want to do, and then when you die, time to get serious." That ain't how it goes. That's how most people live. That's not how it goes. Okay. Again, except the Lord build a house. What house? Well, maybe the house of our life. Amen. Maybe the house of, of your marriage. Maybe the house of, uh, of your of your your finances. The house of your your child rearing. Whatever that may be. There's a lot of things here we're talking about. But uh, you know, Proverbs, Proverbs chapter sixteen and verse nine says this. It says, "A man's heart devises his way." In other words, man figures out in his heart what he wants to do. He plans out, this is what I'm going to do with my life. Okay, but we know what the Bible also says about man's heart. It's deceitfully wicked, and who can know it? So even though we have the best intentions sometimes, we make plans, and we don't consult God on those plans. We, 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 we get knee-deep in those plans, and we say, hey, God, would you rubber stamp what I'm doing? Because I really want to do this. God, would you okay this for me? You know, I already started with an ask you about I've already got started in this direction. God, just give me your approval. That's not how it works. See, a man's heart divides his steps. And the Bible says, but the Lord directed his steps. So, you know, you're trying to go your way, but God's still trying to get you to go his. All the days of our lives, it's like a soap opera, isn't it? And God is directing us by his spirit. Always. If you're a child of God, God is trying to direct you his way. He moves in our lives, and we don't see him move in our lives because God doesn't set off Roman candles and, and, and drop bombs to make his presence known. God moves quietly, and God moves uh, very unnoticeably sometimes in our life trying to guide us. Sometimes he does it through troubles. Sometimes he does it through things we wouldn't expect, but he's trying to get us to move from one place to another so he can make a change in our life for the better for his will. 
But he's trying to bring us to an expected end. God has a plan. God has somewhere he wants us to go and something he wants us to do. And it's futile for us to try and plan a life that's in conflict with God's will. A believer who's walking contrary to God's will, they're headed for a fall. I mean, you, 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 I mean, you, if a person, again, they're out of the will of God, and they're, they've got goals in front of them, but the goal, they're their goals, they're not God's goals, and they're not in God's acceptable will. They're outside of his will. God is going to continue to try to guide that person's step, and they're going to continue to try to resist God, and guess what? It's going to end up in a struggle, and it's going to be a great fall. That happens. That happened to me. It will happen to anybody who tries to do anything opposite of God. And the problem is, and the problem is, they carry all these things as they're trying to walk their own way. They're carrying spouse and children and friends and, and, and family with them, trying to walk in a path that's outside the will of God, and when they fall, it's going to hurt everybody involved. It's so... It's, you say, oh, well, I never thought about it hurting anybody else when you fall down. It hurts a lot of people when you fall down. Listen, when a person who when a person who is supposed to be a Christian uh, following God's will ends up God having to kick their feet out from under them to get them to turn around or to get them to change direction, that can disrupt a lot of lives. And the reason I say that is because I want to express to you how essential and how important it is that we not that we not be selfish with our lives, but that we be careful to follow God's will. I'll give you an example of people trying to fight against God's will and God not having it. Take the Tower of Babel, for example, after the flood, when all the people on earth got together and they said, you know, we're going to build a tower to heaven. And so they began constructing this tower. It was, of course, it was a pagan tower. But they were trying to, you know, they weren't going to be, again, it was the whole the whole thing that Satan said, you know, I'll be like the most high. We're going to build a tower up to heaven. And uh, men pulled together their intellect, their building intellect. They, they, they put together their might. They, 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 they were trying their best, but they couldn't fight against God. He was against them, and God forwarded their plans, and God said, no, you think you're going to build this thing, but you know what? The building construction stopped when couldn't nobody talk to one another. One opened his mouth, he's speaking a language with somebody he never heard before. So, you, 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 again, I say that to tell you, we can try to keep doing it our way, but we're going to keep failing until we get in line with God. God is the one who provides. On the other hand, when the Lord is behind something, who's going to prevent it from happening? Amen? If God wants something to, to, to work, the devil can't stop it. You can't stop it. If God is, it, it wants it, it's going to happen. I mean, you think about Solomon. When Solomon got ready to build a temple, you know, all Solomon, Solomon was asking heathens for stuff, and they were just bringing it. I mean, they're bringing cedars from Lebanon. They're bringing, they bringing gold from 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 over in Egypt. I mean, they're bringing stuff from everywhere. He's 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 just sending out, and, and God's sending the heathen, you know, with things that he needs to build the temple. When God's in it, can't nobody stop it. You know, there's been a lot of big castles built over the course of time, and a lot of big palaces built, and they all crumbled and fell into ruin. 
not too long after they're built. You know, men, men can construct the greatest things, but time just wears them down. Time just destroys them. I'm going to tell you, there's been a lot of men who's built a lot of great things. Uh, you know, churches, for example. And I, you hear what I said, men built them? They, they, they some gigantic, ginormous things that call themselves churches these days. And they don't preach Jesus. Men built those things, and they won't last. They have these things all over the place. They don't call them churches anymore. They call them worship centers or family life centers or fellowship centers. But they're not old-time churches. They preach the old Bible. They preach salvation by grace through faith. And, they, and man can man can make them as fancy as he wants to, but if they're not if they're not honoring the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, they won't last. They won't last. You know, families that are not built upon the Lord Jesus Christ, them families are scattered in the land. If they're not, if there's not a central anchor point of Jesus Christ, they will all drift. Relationships. You know, the Bible talks about us being in an unequal yoke. We shouldn't be in a relationship with in an unequal yoke with an unbeliever. But yet, people try to build those relationships. And they end up ending because because there's a conflict of interest when somebody's a lost person and somebody's a saved person. Eventually, it will come to a headbutting thing. In a marriage, you take a marriage where one person loves the Lord Jesus and the other does not. It may not be a sticking point in the beginning. They might be. It may be compensations and and, and and all kinds of concessions made and compromises, but when it all comes down to it, it will be a sticking point. It will be a dividing line. It will be a, a sword that divides you because God never intended for somebody other than his child to be with his child. God never intended for, for, for a believer to be in an unequal yoke with a stranger. God intends for a believer to be married to a believer, but that's not even all. God intends to be in the middle of that marriage between believer and believer. Because where God is left out, that marriage goes in the wrong direction. And that love cannot be the right kind of love unless God is in the center of it. Anytime a husband and a wife get married, they're to grow toward God together and they can't help but get closer together. People try to build businesses and they leave God out and they wonder why they don't succeed. 1 Corinthians 3, 7 says, So then neither is he that planteth anything or he that watereth, but God giveth the increase. So we can work and work and work. I tell you, I, I can't tell you how many times I've tried to plant a garden, and I mean, I went out there and put the work in, but it just didn't come up. You know, God has to decide you're going to have a good garden that year. You ain't going to have a good garden. It's just a fact of life, and that's just the way it is. Unless, unless, you, want, unless you want the garden of you alive, to, to blossom and to provide fruit for the Lord Jesus, he's got to be the one who takes care of the garden. You just can't succeed without him. I mean, it's plain and simple. First Corinthians 3, 9-15. Listen to what this says. For we are laborers together with God. We work. We work with God. And he says, you're God's husbandry. That means you're God's garden. You're God's building. Notice it says God. It doesn't say yours. It says God's. Now, we work with God, but we're his. 
And he said, according to the grace of God, which is given unto me, as a wise master builder. So Paul says, hey, I'm a, I'm a wise master builder. I know how to build a life for God when he's trying to kill him. He said, I've laid the foundation. When he did that, he preached Christ to them, and they got saved. I laid the foundation, and another built it for all. In other words, you've got a pastor now. He's teaching you Bible. He's teaching you God's truth, and he's, he's building. You're building on that foundation. And he said, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereon. You see, just because the foundation's there don't mean you can build anything you want to on it. Because, again, the house, it says you're God's building. And so you're yours. So he said, you better pay attention to how you build on that foundation, how that Christian life is built. Is God involved every step of the way? Is every placement of every brick where God wants it? Is, every, is everything the way God would have it to be? Is it built according to God's building instructions? He said, for no other foundation can, uh, for other foundation can no man lay than that he's laid. Well, you can't lay two foundations. It ain't the foundation of Christ and the foundation of what I think. It's Christ. All right? He said, he said, Christ is Christ Jesus. And he said, now if any man build upon this foundation, and he gives building materials, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, and stubble. Those are all valid building materials, but they're not all going to hold up to the fire of God, which is going to prove and try them. The Bible says every man's work shall be made manifest. In other words, we're going to test everybody's work out to see what it is. I know at West Texas, uh, Texas Tech, they do a tornado test and where they shoot Two by four, it's not to see if it'll hold up in a tornado. You know, God's going to put a, he's gonna put a, a powerful test to our works to see if they'll withstand. Amen? He wants to see if what was built upon this life was done with him in mind. And matter of fact, not even with him in mind, but with him guiding, with him controlling and providing the power, the Holy Ghost power, to do those things that we could never do in our flesh. He said every man's work should be made manifest. We're going to see what it is. Every, the day shall declare it. Because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try or test every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he has built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. So if, if that, in that day when we stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, and I think about my friend Brother James, I'm going to bury tomorrow. I think about, I told him before, he passed away, I went visiting him last week, and I told him, I said, Brother James, I said, you you fought a good fight, and you finished the course, and you kept the faith, brother, you did it. It wasn't you, it was Jesus, and I know you know that, but you did it, amen? There's no reason, we can't, everybody in here finished that way. Ain't, ain't no reason in the world why we can't finish right. Ain't no reason in the world why we're not standing before Jesus, and, and the fire of God burning everything we built for ourselves. There ain't no reason why we can't live sacrificially for Christ. In the, in, the, in the remaining moments of our life, there's no reason why we can't give God what he demands and expects. He said, if any man's work should be burned, I say he got saved, and yet, yet didn't consult God, didn't ask God, didn't, didn't, didn't seek God when it came to a mate, didn't seek God when it came to a career, didn't seek God when it came to, to uh, what to do to raising the children. And come to the end of the life and, and, and stand before Jesus Christ and the fire of God cries works and it all goes. All it's left is the foundation. You can get into heaven, but the foundation is what gets you into heaven. 
Jesus Christ. But you're standing before Jesus with nothing but salvation. What a wasted life. That's what it'll be. And I, I'm not saying anybody here is going to face that, but I'd hate for anybody here to face that. Because <clears throat> the Bible says he shall suffer loss. What loss? The loss he thought, the things he thought he was going to have.
I guess see, I, mean, I don't know if you, um, how, how long has it been since Clarksville had a night watchman? Anybody know? Y'all ever have a night watchman in Clarksville? Town I grew up in, they used to be. They used to be a. They used to be a paid position. You had a guy. He'd sit down on the square in a pickup truck with his keys and gun and flashlight. And if anybody come right messing around, he's gonna be the first one on the scene. They used to have one of those in town I grew up in. I can't remember his name, but you know. Don't do no good if the watchman goes to sleep and he wakes up and everybody done not come in on him. And that's what God's saying, you know. And unless, you know, unless the Lord is the one taking care of you, all you've got to protect you ain't going to do you a bit of good. I was sitting and having lunch today with, with my friend um, over in Paris, my, my dentist friend, Brother Lee Crawford, and uh, we were talking about that. and said, you know, what, what, what would happen? If things just went south in this country and they come out arresting Christians, you know, I mean, I, I have the right in this land to take up arms against those who would try to hurt me and my family, you know. I mean, but I can't shoot everybody. I can't shoot everybody that would come against me. Well, there's going to come a point where I, I what am I going to do? We were having that discussion. I just turned it over to the Lord and said, Lord, whatever happens, happens. Go willingly, whatever. I don't know. That's a good question. But it's kind of it kind of falls in line with what this verse is saying. Except the Lord keeps the city. Unless, but unless God keeps my life, all the protection I have, I can have all the guns and ammo in the world, but unless God is protecting me, I can't keep myself safe. Oh, I'm wearing it. Well, I got hand grenades strapped to me and I look like a Rambo walking down the street. I can't stay safe if God is not the one protecting me. Psalm 41, 15, they've said all my time, my times are in thy hand. God, you know the day of you knew the day of my birth before I was born. You know the day of my death before I die. All my times are in your hand. So I need to quote anybody. Amen. I don't need sweat. The, 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 the small stuff ain't nothing to do about it. You know the day I die, but, you know, scare me to death. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what to do. What to think? I'm gone. Ain't nothing to do about it. Amen. I just trust God. Proverbs 21, 30 and 31. He said, There is no wisdom nor understanding nor counsel against the Lord. The horse is prepared against the day of battle, but safety is of the Lord. Again, all the armaments you want to put against something. Uh, Psalm 33, 16 through 18. There is no king saved by the multitude of a host. A mighty man is not delivered by much strength. A horse is a vain thing for safety. Neither shall he deliver any by his great strength. Behold, the eye of the Lord is upon them that fear him, and upon them that hope in his mercy. It's not, I'm not hoping that somehow I can, I can make it all the way to the, to the end of whatever God has me go through by my, my, my experience with weapons or whatever. I mean, Lord, no. I can't defend myself against, against somebody that wanted to take me out. Oh, maybe for a little while, but not forever. Safety is of the Lord. I hope in his mercy. I think God be merciful to me and take care of me. You know, there was a great Civil War general by the name of Stonewall Jackson. How many of y'all heard of Stonewall? Yeah, everybody's heard of Stonewall. He had a great quote. Uh, I, I, I read it in that dentist office I told you I had lunch with a long time ago. He's got it on his wall. Here's what it says. He says, Captain... My religious belief teaches me to feel as safe in battle as in bed. God has fixed the time for my death. I do not concern myself about that. 
but to always be ready no matter when it may overtake me. Captain, that is the will all the way all men should live, and then all would be equally brave. You know, you don't worry. You let God handle it. You can live just as fierce and as courageous as you want to. And I say fierce, I don't mean ugly, but you know what I'm saying. You can be you can be valued for the Lord, not worry, because God's got it. Verse two, and I'm hurrying. We're gonna get we're gonna get through. Verse two, He said, "It is vain. It's it's empty. It's foolishness." For you to rise up early, to set up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he giveth his beloved sleep. I, I hear a lot of people talk about how they just can't sleep. They just have so many thoughts running through their head, and they can't lay there and they can't go to sleep. Or they wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning and can't go back to bed because they got all these thoughts going through their head. Now, maybe I'm talking about somebody here tonight. I'm not trying to pick on you, but I'm going to tell you something. That ain't how God intended for you to live. God didn't intend for you to, to worry about things. God didn't intend for you to deal with things you can't do nothing about. He said, he said we're to bring them to him. We're to lay them at his feet. He said it's empty for us to sit and dwell on stuff we can't control. He made you to rest, and he wants you to rest. God didn't intend for you to sit and try to figure something out you can't figure out. Philippians 4, 6 says, be careful for nothing. That means quit worrying about stuff. Don't worry about anything. That's exactly what that means. And I mean, it's, I know that ain't our language. Be careful for nothing. You don't tell somebody to worry. Oh, be careful for nothing. But it means don't, don't. anxious care is what you're referring to. Ooh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? That's anxious care. That's careful. Be careful for nothing. He says, but in every, what do you do? Okay, in everything that you would be anxious about, he said, by prayer. So we need to talk to God about everything. Oh, I would work out with that little detail. God cares about how many hairs are on your head. He cares about everything. He cares. He wants you to come to him. He, it's just it's something over here you can't handle and you won't turn it over to him. He said, hey, why won't you turn it over to me? Why don't you just give it to me? I'll take care of that. I'll take that off of them and they'll just... Give it to me. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, that means pray about it and agonize with God over it. Don't agonize with yourself. And do it with thanksgiving, knowing that God is going to answer your prayer. Thank him ahead of time. Say, thank you, Lord, that you can take this off of me and I don't have to lay here and wrestle with it. He said, that's the way to let your request be made known unto God. You say, I want to sleep like Jesus sleeps. You say, Jesus sleeps? Well, like Jesus slept. I'll put it that way. I want to sleep like Jesus slept. You say, how does Jesus sleep? Well, Mark chapter 4, 36 through 41 tells us. The Bible said, when he had sent away the multitude, he took, they took him even as he was into the ship. And there were also with him other little ships, and there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. So the ship is almost full of water. You know what happens to the ship is full of water? It goes blub, blub, blub to the bottom. So everybody at that point is like, hey, we got to do something here. Who's going under? And he was in the hinder part of the ship. So he's back there in the back, asleep on a pillow. Much more soggy pillow. Right? But he's back there, asleep, in the middle of a storm, in an open boat, wet on a pillow. There's got to be water all around him, and he's still asleep. But he was asleep. You say, oh, they probably thinking like he was asleep, testing him. No, it says, and they awake him. 
can't wake him up. He wasn't asleep. And they say in him, Master Karras, now not that we perished, except they said it with a screaming voice because they were panicking. Don't you care? Of course, he rose. He rebuked the wind. He said, quit blowing. And he quit. And he said, peace, be still. And everything was just dead silence. And the water was still. Uh, and ripples settled down. Everybody looked like a sea of glass out there. And the Bible said, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, why are you so fearful? You know, I'm sure they probably could have said, well, Jesus, the boat was about to go down. Jesus, we couldn't get you to wake up. Jesus, they look bad. You don't understand, Jesus. Jesus is right here with you. Why are you still scary, Jesus? Because you say, hey, you say, well, Jesus is right there with you. You say, yeah, I know he's right here with me, but I'm still scared. Because that's the way some of us are. I know he's with me, but I know but. Jesus took all the butts out of it. Amen? He, he's able. They fear. The Bible says they he said, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? You didn't trust me, but I knew it was, listen, I'm God. I know that the water's in your boat. I know that it's raining. I know the wind's blowing. I know the line is crashing. I know y'all are scared, but I wanted to see if you trust me or not. He knew all that was going on. He's God. He sent it. He allowed it to come to see if they trusted, and they didn't, just like we had not so many times. And they feared exceedingly. They got even more scared. And they said one to another, what manner of man is this that even the wind and the seas obey? That freaked them out too. The fact that he was able to say, Shh, and it all got quiet. You know what? I, I, I like it when God makes everything get quiet in my life, don't you? I like it when he says, peace be still in my life. You know, I need to remind myself, and you need to remind yourself what Matthew twenty-eight eighteen tells us, where Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. So we, our Savior is all-powerful. Our Savior is more powerful than the devil and more powerful than the governments of this world, more powerful than the, 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 the fallen angels, more powerful than Satan himself, more powerful than all the atomic bombs and, and all the, uh, the thermonuclear weapons on this earth, more, more powerful than, than hell and all that has. God made every bit of it, and he's in control of it. And that's who I serve. And that's who tells me to be still and to be quiet and be at peace. And so I need to listen to him. First Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your care on him, all your worry, all your anxiousness. Jesus says, throw it to me, I got it. I'll care. I'll put it on my shoulders so you don't have to carry it on yours. The Bible says, he careth for you. All right, I'm going to cover three verses real quick. Hello, children are an heritage of the Lord. You know, money comes and money goes, but children live on. And children keep our family name alive. Children keep us alive once we're gone. You know, I talk about I talk about my daddy all the time. He's been gone since ninety eight. I run into people that know him and wish they'd have a conversation about him and remember good things and, and it keeps his memory alive. You know, but children do that. Money don't. You know, there's lots of church pews all over this country. People's names engraved in the back. Don't nobody remember who they are. There's lots of buildings with names on them. Don't nobody remember who the people are. You walk out to a cemetery, there's lots of people out there. Ain't nobody got a clue who they are. But I guarantee you, if they got some family 
who love the Lord, who serve the Lord generation to generation, they know who they are. And I still talk about them. Um, you know, Bible says children are heritage of the Lord, but, but we're powerless in that matter. You know, a person can say, I don't have a big family. But the fact of it is, it ain't God's will, it won't happen. We can't say we're going to make a big family. That, that's God's will. It has to be God's will or there won't be any children. You know? Uh, children are a heritage. What, what am I trying to say? The Bible says in the second part of that verse, the fruit of the womb is his reward. Children are a gift from God. You know? They're a gift. There's a lot of people that would love to have a child, would love to make a child, but they cannot. And those of us who have children, we, we sometimes take for granted in our children that God has given them to us, that they are a gift from God. The, the Bible says they are our reward. I find I worry sometimes about that because I don't want to get everything I got coming to me as my kids. Hey, Amen. I know y'all feel the same way probably. I'll show tomorrow that I don't want them to read. But, you know, I'm thankful that God has given me the children he's given me. The Bible says fruit of the one is his reward. Again, children are not burdens. A lot of people look at children like they're burdens. They're not burdens. They're, they're favors. God is doing us a favor. God is doing us a great blessing by giving us children. And if we train our children right, they're going to be good tools for God to use in his hand in their life. And that's important. Again, because God is the one who's to be in control, not just in our life, but our children's life. He gives them to us to train them up. But eventually we're going to have to turn them over to him, and, and we want to have them prepared for a life of service to God. Verse 4, as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are the children of the youth. As arrows, let me think of some things about arrows real quick. For an arrow to be effective, number one, it has to be what? Sharp. Right? Right? You know what? The, the way that, the way it, to sharpen a child is to teach that child the Word of God. Amen? I don't want a child to go out in this world dull and dumb and don't know nothing, let people just take advantage of them, be naive and, and not be wise in the ways of God so that they understand the difference between evil and good. I, mean, I want them to, not be, to, to have all the advantages to succeed in life. You've got to sharpen them. Error has to be something else. It has to be straight for it to be effective. Amen. Uh, listen, it's important that we teach them to train. You know, the Bible tells us that in Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go. Right? A straight arrow flies straight. And when he's old, he'll not depart from it. A lot of people take this verse and they misinterpret it. They say, well, that says, you know what, you train them up right and they'll go away for a while, but eventually they'll come back to the Lord. That ain't what that verse says. That verse says if you train them right, they won't ever go away to begin with. They'll follow God all the way through. Now you say, what about those that do follow, follow away for a while? Well, God in his mercy and grace returns them to them if they're his. But that ain't the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to train them up the right way. I know kids make their own choices, but the fact of it is if you train them right, it'll be in them. <clears throat> so it's, and, and again, Sharp, straight, and another thing, too, has to be aimed. Again, that's part of the teaching. You have to teach them how to follow God's will and look for God's will in their life. So when when they're sent out into this world, they got a, they got direction. they got a goal out ahead of them. And in verse 5, happy is the man that hath a quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Now, 
Mom says a man had ever quit full of them. How lucky is this one's talking about? And a man that raises them to know that God is the one who's in charge, that God is the one who has a plan for their life, that God is the one they're to follow, and God's the one they're to look to, and God's the one they're to trust. And all those situations we talked about, when you prepare them like that, for a life that honors him, that's what God wants. For a prepare your children, prepare your grandchildren. Even if you, even if you oh, you got to have grandchildren, you got your kids are grown. Prepare them grandchildren. Be that force in their life to direct them and help them to get to where they need to go for God. I mean, listen, how are they going to build a marriage without it? How are they going to raise your grandchildren? How are they going to raise your great-grandchildren without knowing how to follow God and trust Him and depend on Him? Because I'm going to tell you the truth tonight. I'm going to tell you the truth anyway, but I'm, I'm going to emphatically tell you this. If we do not teach them to trust the Savior, they'll find a man-made Savior to trust. If we can't teach them to trust and have faith and believe and rely on God, they'll find they'll make a God out of government, and that'll be their God, and that's who they'll rely on. We must tra- train them up to rely on God always, to find God there all in all. They won't fear. Why? Because their trust is in the safety of the Lord, their God. That's why the Bible says they shall speak with the enemy in the gates. They got no fear. You train up a child. Listen, you, you take somebody who knows this book and knows the author of this book, that person can live in confidence. That person can live knowing that, that you know, the devil can't do anything to them that God doesn't allow. There's a hedge of protection around the believer. They have, they have the blessing of God. They have the authority of God. They have the Word of God. They have the Spirit of God. I mean, my goodness, what more could you want? You have the Son of God. I mean, what more could you want? If we train our children up right, then we... Then, listen, the enemy's got a Bible on his hands. If we don't train them right, guess what's going to happen? They're going to get run over. It's up to us to be a, to be a force in our children's life for God. Amen? And we've got to remember where our help comes from. Our help comes from God. It don't come from this world. It don't come from man. It comes from the Lord. Let's stand together.